Welcome to the Success IQ podcast, the show for entrepreneurs who want to create and live an exceptional life. I'm your host, Jeff Nicholson, and this is episode 59. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Wherever you are in the world, I truly hope you are having a fantastic week. So this week, we have got a great guest, Nick Cullen. Now, Nick is the founder of Second of Flight Consultancy, one of the fastest growing growth hacking agencies specializing in digital marketing and business development. Nick built this agency within less than 14 months to a six-figure-a-month revenue agency, all without a college degree and in his mid-20s. Nick, it's great. Great to have you on the show. Hey, Jeff. Thank you for having me here, man. I am excited. So I can't wait to kind of – this is this is going to be good. This is going to be good. I And and what was cool, I know, you know, none of the, you know, the guests, you know, on, that are listening to the show um, heard our pre-chat, but I already could tell from our vibe we're going to have a pretty cool conversation. Yeah, it's all about having fun. Fun and learning. Yep. That's, that's what it's all about. So you also have um, – have you appeared on the EO Fire as well? You are a yes. fellow. Ah, excellent. Excellent. We, we are I'm part excited. of that team. Yeah, we are. We're, we're part of that team. <laughs> <laughs> so, Nick, can you tell us a little bit about your, your story that sort of brought you up to this point today? Yeah, sure. Not a problem. Um, I have been in this kind of like I kind of fell into the digital marketing world by accident. Um, it was simply, you know, looking back in my life when I was a young teenager, I looked at digital marketing as a way to not have to work at McDonald's. Um, my parents who wanted me to get a job like any parent you know, wants their kid to get. I, I just knew I had that itch like I know I'm worth more than what a typical 13, 14 year old person has to do, which is clean tables, you know, scrub plates, whatever it might be. And I had a huge love for music back then. And I also was a complete nerd with a computer. And I was like, you know what? I think there's a way that I can maybe make some money helping other musicians and artists promote themselves online. And that was the dawn of like, you know, YouTube, especially when it comes to, um, you know, people posting their music on YouTube. And that was where like so many people were going to, to get like new music. And at that time I noticed a little bit of a uh, vulnerability in their algorithm when it comes to real time commenting. You don't see this now, but back then it was very chronological order with like commenting coming in. So like a guy like Justin Bieber, when he, you know, pre puberty, (laughs) you know, But he had his high-pitched voice and he was singing these songs. You know, you would see literally like the computer wasn't fast enough to like do it in real time. But you would literally see like when you refresh the screen, like almost 60 new comments that all say a second ago, a second ago, less than a second ago, less than a second ago. And in my head, I was like, all right, well, this video is like two and a half minutes long or a minute and a half. And the average person probably watches maybe two to three videos in their span of time. So I was like, the thing that intrigued me the most that I kind of like discovered by accident was also the fact that people who are commenting are like the creme de la creme kind of like audience that you would like to target because not only did they watch it but they commented on it and commenting is a lot different than liking something you actually have to take a little extra effort move those fingers a little bit and hit a button and then you actually did an a very believe it or not strenuous action you know it's it's actually something that's hard to identify and right 
right in front of my face. I was like, not only did I identify people who like the music, but I'm also identifying people who would be like the early adopters, like the best people who would be, see, you know, showing, you know, to new artists, you know, people who are, will take action and whatever you need them to do. And what I simply did was at first to test it out, I was just copying and pasting like a madman, you know, just driving people to my own music. And what was crazy was like by the time I got done sending like 20 messages within like as fast as I could. So like sending 20 messages back then took me like maybe two to three minutes and, you know, copy and pasting. And by the time I was on to my next round, I already saw like seven new comments on my video and uh, like around a ton more of the what you call it um likes and views that, that was just coming in and what was crazy is that these people were also sharing this the music so i was like oh i think i'm onto something but my only bottleneck was the fact that i was a human i only could go as fast as my fingers could go and i had to sleep and i have to eat and i have to go to the bathroom at certain times so I, I can't do this all the time so i started dabbling with like doing very it sounds like really intense, but it was very simple programming of just looping the same action over and over and over again. It's like the, it's like the perfect recipe if you you know wanted to build a robot to do your chores and just this is like the same actions doing it over and over again. I, I just simply de designed a, a little string of code that was following exactly my keystrokes, but it was doing it. 24 seven. And what was great was that the results were almost overnight successes of like people who had videos that had less than a hundred views. And then it was all of a sudden jumping to like tens of thousands within, you know, a matter of like 48 hours. It was incredible. So long story short, I started like, you know, developing the same kind of script, but targeting people who had under a certain amount of videos and saying, Hey, I developed something that could make a lot of video views and comments and subscribers. And here's my you know case study. And if you want to do it, you could PayPal me $200 a month. <laughs> and I, I did something like that. And what was great was like, in my head, I was like, I, if, I, if I work at McDonald's or something like that for minimum wage, you know, for the part time, I may be only bringing in 200, 300 bucks, 400 bucks a month. So I was like, right, if I could get two people, I'll be happy. I ended up getting on average around 15 to 25 people a month wow. by doing this. And it was great. It, it, I felt like Rockefeller. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, I and then from that point on, I just kind of became obsessed with finding out ways to leverage the digital medium to develop like really cutting edge, you know, ideas and ways to people to market it. And that kind of carried in right after high school. And I never went to college and just kind of just took what I learned and, you know, leveraged that to get some really great jobs without a college degree. And, you know, by the time I was 22, 23, that's when I uh, finally left the nest of the corporate world and, you know, jumped on the crazy train of being an entrepreneur and uh, actually doing what I knew I was, you know, I should have done, which was my own business. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. I could imagine your face when all of a sudden this this money's just coming in and you're only like young and it's like, ooh, okay, all my Christmases are here at once. I'm just gonna take over. <laughs> you know, it was crazy. I felt, I felt wrong. It felt weird. Yeah. I felt like I did something bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> because like, 
you know, they didn't even know. Like, my parents didn't even know. Yeah. You know, until the one day I was like, I got like five grand. Yeah. They're like, what the hell? You get five grand? Are you selling drugs? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. It was like, Every knock oh, on yeah. the door, you worry that it's the FBI or something, just to, just in case you're doing something wrong. It's the YouTube police. They're coming yeah. after me. <laughs> so, so when you talk, because there's a couple of things that was interested there, and I suppose it's bringing it in today. It's this, it's this sharing and commenting and and all of that sort of stuff, and it's a, it's it's it is quite hard nowadays to get people to do. That because one of the interesting things I always found is when Facebook, when I first sort of got into Facebook, when you liked Facebook, it automatically kind of like shared, but Mm -hmm. now it doesn't really do that. And you see people sort of going, okay, yeah, I like that. Almost think, almost trying to help, you know, in that promoting of the stuff, but it doesn't really go anywhere. They don't really share it as much as they do. And it's, it's a strange way how they've changed that whether I don't know whether it's an algorithm or just the way they do it. It it's 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 hard to retrain someone again once you've already trained them that the like button is that is the automatic response. Yeah, you know, that's the thing. The the like button, you're right, back in you know, a few years ago, the whole algorithm was different. Yeah. Where if you even liked the page Everything that you would see that page post, you would always see it. Yeah. Almost in chronological order. Now it's way different. It's yeah. like all I kind of feel bad because all the people who spend thousands upon thousands of dollars like yeah. getting as many people to like their page yeah. and paying for that kind of campaign, yeah. it was honestly for nothing now. Yeah. It, it was really like you just burnt money. Yeah. Now. And it's it's kind of crazy. I know. But like now it's like even more important to it's not so much even having people like an image or a video or even commenting on a, on a video what the biggest thing you need people to do is share it and sharing's the thing that makes it all like kind of show up but i think the thing is and, you know, I kind of got upset when Instagram followed suit and it makes sense because Facebook bought them but you know, Instagram used to be very chronological, you know, real time kind of feel when someone posted a photo, you saw it. And now it's like you go through your, t- you know, your feed and it's like you see an image that was posted like a day ago. And then you see next to that a post that was posted 10 minutes ago and then one a second ago. But it's like all over the place. It's like it's like you you had everything organized and a little kid ran across the room and kicked it. And now you got like <laughs> all this stuff all over the place. So it's it's very difficult now to kind of be in the now of social media. And you have to play it smart where it, everything is now measured based on if people like it around the engagement because now the algorithm is showing to prove that if you have a history of promoting content that people are actually in a certain timely matter liking and commenting and sharing that that's going to apparently improve your visibility of people actually seeing it while you may let's say post a lot of content but no one really likes it and when you push it, push it out now, it's actually even hurting you because now it's like you know, they don't want to show it. So it, it's either they're developing algorithms that are, you know, too smart, which is hurting the actual experience that maybe people have, or you know, it's just going back into the corporate, maybe even greed of 
purposely creating flaws in the system to push people to buy visibility. Yeah. Which, yeah. I mean, and not, it makes sense. No, and I mean, it's, it's interesting because this is one of the things that we're going to talk about today is this growth hacking. And um, what is, for those who don't understand it, because I'm not all 100% sure I understand it, what is growth hacking? Yes. So growth hacking, the, I, uh, there's, there's a, there's a, like a definition for it, right? The standard definition. And then there's a def, there's a viewpoint that I personally have that I find as like, you know, the, the first thing that people need to do when they want to start getting into the world of growth hacking. So growth hacking technically is really data driven, right? You, you look at a lot of data and you try finding vulnerabilities in with that data. So let's say, you know, you're, you know, the crazy AB split testing, trying to figure out ways to do things or maybe change certain variables that increases certain bottom lines of, you know, traffic or conversions or whatever it might be. Right. Or identifying a certain, you know, area that like, let's say what I did with the YouTube thing back in the day, that was technically growth hacking because I was able to manipulate something that was already readily available and develop essentially a hack, you know, uh, you know, a, a system that automated all that processes, you know, that, and, and of course that grew in, in turn, you know, what I was trying to do. But the thing is when you look at it in that perspective, very data and, systems and functions and all that stuff you could get very caught with you know you could kind of fall down the rabbit hole of like getting too in depth with it and almost to the point where you're like that is way above my head and i'm just going to stick with two what i'm comfortable with which often i see a lot of people do when things get very technical it's almost like trying to teach someone quantum physics and you know when you start getting into the deep mind of space and yeah. time travel you, yeah. your mind literally combust yeah and i feel it's, like it's, it scares the crap out of them oh yeah yeah 100% yeah. yeah so when you start getting even into like the technical side of even Google Analytics, I guess I automatically start seeing people's face turn a little pale and their mind thinking about, you know, what's on TV later tonight. So the thing is, though, instead of jumping into that very, you know, roll up the sleeves, data driven kind of world, I like to look at growth hacking as more of a mindset. It's kind of like spiritually, they say that we have like a third eye, right? Where we're able to see things and experience things differently. I feel like it's the same thing. It's like growth hacking is like the third eye of business, right? And what you what people need to first do, I personally find growth hacking as like the ability to be able to see and experience and almost look ahead beyond what other people are seeing and feeling, right? So for instance, they say in hockey right? You don't go towards the puck. You go to where the puck is going to go, right? So it's a matter of conditioning your mind of saying like, okay, if I'm noticing and picking up these signs, like being visually and mentally aware of these specific things and trends, that is the thing that's going to help ignite growth hacking behavior, right? Where you're like, you know what? Everyone is doing the same rudimentary thing. Why? You almost want to always like growth hacking. I I like to like self proclaim myself as like this anti conformity marketing guy. Yeah, you know, like I'm a huge I'm a huge advocate for it because 
when we conform to marketing, we're doing what everyone else is doing, right? We don't want to break the rules. We want to stay in our lane, you know, because that's what everyone else is doing, right? But the problem is, is when we all start doing the same exact motion that everyone else is doing, what happens? The problem of things that happen is everyone is seeing the same results, the pricing of what everyone else is doing is going to get inflated. Just look at Google AdWords and Facebook prices. Like when they launched and before it really hit mainstream market adoption, like they were really cheap prices. But now when everyone starts to do it, the price is going to increase because the demand is higher. And then what happens to the consumer side? The consumer side, they start getting very used to, you know, and initially they are more receptive to engaging with advertisements because it's new to them. It's like a new shiny thing, right? But now <clears throat> you're going to start seeing people build those mental blinders, very similar to how you see billboards on the street. You don't really look at them. You, you know they're there, but you don't really internalize them. Or if you go on a web page and you see display ads on the side, flashing and moving, all that stuff, you see them, but you don't really do anything with them. You like mentally block them. They're like blurred. You don't really pay your mind. But that's what is going to be happening with Google ads you know, the AdWords, people see them, but are they actually really wanting to click on them? Yeah. 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 It's it, a- might, it, may, it may even be irrelevant five years from now. People yeah. are going to be like, those are ads. I know I'm educated enough now to know like they paid for that placement, but the real juicy, like meaty, good stuff is like what's under that because, you know, they had to follow like a set of protocol, you know, to actually be in this real estate area. You know, like it, it's like we're becoming so adaptive to like the schemes of marketing as consumers that we have to be freaking smart because our our consumers aren't dumb. They're not going to be they're not the 1950s kind of uh, consumers where you see little Johnny with his dimples on his face saying like, hey, you got to buy this toothbrush. You know, like it's it's very like you have to be super savvy and smart. And the only way that you can really make ripple effects is by being more innovative and thinking of new ways to like leverage the platform in ways that other people aren't doing. Cause that's the way the customer or the consumer, I should say the consumer is going to be like, wow, this is different. Let me engage. And the only way you start developing that is by starting to, I guess you could say like exercise and build the practice of challenging, questioning, and essentially trying to break as many rules that people say that you can't do. Yeah. Well, yeah, because it's interesting because it's not just like the ad stuff as well. It's like the blogging and the videos and the, you know, even the podcasts and all of them is there's so many people saying you need to do. Well, let, let, let's ask this question is, are you a believer that everyone should do everything in the sense of everyone should have a blog, everyone should do videos, everyone should do something like a podcast or how do you talk about from that marketing point of view of content? What do you? What is your sort of preferred strategy? I'm a I'm a firm believer that you shouldn't do everything. Yeah. Okay. You but made me feel better. <laughs> but well, here's the reason, right? Yeah. If you try doing everything, yeah, everything's going to be garbage. Yeah. Unless you're like. 
Gary Vanderchuk and he has like a multi-million dollar agency and 30 people who just specifically focus on his brand and each one of those 30 people are 10 people managing each platform like that's the only way that you can really do it in a good way but Mm. for the most part for the probably the most people who are listening to them it's just themselves and maybe one or two people yeah right and there's you know you could easily count like five platforms Hmm. just with blogging platforms yep. yeah <laughs> you know Easy, it, yeah. it's just it's just crazy yeah. but the fact of the matter is if you try chasing after everything and putting our imprint on everything you're going to be like kind of cookie cuttering everything it's yeah. not going to be like really best for that platform you're just like oh i'm going to move what i wrote on my blog and plug it over here and i'm going to put it over here and i'm going to make a little short little podcast about this blog over there but it's not really all does, there's no substance it doesn't no. feel unique yeah and what i feel like most people are not even realizing is like i they they get sold this idea of like i got to be everywhere yeah. but in all actuality their consumer and buyer maybe they're 90% of their time is maybe digesting the information that they want mm. on one specific platform. Yeah. Yeah. But they're spending all that other time on mm. all the other ones. Yeah. When they could really be just making sure that one platform where majority of their you know audience is on mm. is, is the best freaking content that you could possibly create. Yeah. I, and I guess going with the strengths as well. Yeah, go with your strengths. Like, for instance, let's say you got a cool accent and you're a funny, witty guy. Be on a podcast. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's, that's what I feel, yeah. And, and my listeners will be thinking that with you as well. So, I mean, we're both in a great place. Exactly, exactly. But that's the thing. You know, we live in – you know, yeah. this. people are starting to develop a different – there's like a different dimension of – absorbing content right before we lived in a dimension where it was black and white literally black and white newspapers magazines ink text you never got that extra kind of dimension of emotion that you could tie with someone that's why i think podcasting got so you know real right because people are like you know i read this article you know by so and so and I could kind of maybe feel who they are and their personality or how maybe they're trying to express that sentence, but it's no, but you, you can't, it's kind of like unknown. But when you hear that person on a podcast or a video and you get to see them almost feel the emotion, it's different. It is so different. And I feel like people are more and more starting to maybe even move away from text, you know, because at the end of the day, it's about how, you know, people remember the most how you make them feel. They may not remember what you say. They may not remember what you they read from you, but they'll always remember how you make them feel. And I know Maya Angelou, you know, that was one of her very renowned quotes, and I probably butchered it in some way. But for the most part, that was what it was, the gist was about. But the, that's the truth, though. Like Gary Vanderchuk, I feel like the, you know... <clears throat> He blew up because of video and because of audio, because people got to actually hear his passion, his raw tenacity, and people loved that. People were like, who is this guy? You know, because you can't get that who is this guy kind of feel by reading text. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. So Absolutely. It, it's it's the thing where I feel like I think more people are starting to develop another dimension of, you know, if they like certain things just yeah. by feeling that extra personal kind of connection. Yeah. Which so I guess the the last question would be is can you sort of um share with a couple of just quick tips where people could get started to sort of looking at this growth hacking um you know we've talked about look at some of the figures and stuff like that is there anything else that they could they could do to sort of start that start exploring that vehicle or that uh, strategy yeah sure so a lot of people are probably very familiar with Simon Sinek, right? He wrote a book called Start With Why, right? I think th- I think that's a good placeholder for many people to start questioning things, right? And and start asking the deeper questions around who they are, what they're doing, and why is important kind of thing, right? But I think the thing that most people also need to realize is when <clears throat> is their who more so, right? Who is it? Like everyone starts to think a very like Apple, you know, <laughs> logical like why statements, right? But the thing about it is like your why may not align to the actual who, which is your buyer's persona. And I feel like a lot of people don't focus too much time on the actual buyer because maybe we just became so egotistical that we're like, oh, I already know who I'm selling to or I already know my audience. But they really may not know who their audience is. They may have an idea, but they don't know how they talk. They don't know maybe how they interact with other people outside of their realm. You know, like you really got to dive deep into that because again, it goes back to what we talked about before. It's about almost chameleon yourself with your, the way you develop content advertisements, whatever it is in such a unique way that it gravitates emotionally to your buyer's persona. You can't just throw up the lazy man advertising approach and say, this will work for everyone, when in all actuality, it's not. We live in an age where you could target someone who has brown hair, blue eyes, and pretty much likes ACDC, but also wears Levi's. And you could target that person, but you're going to send them that exact same copy and images that you're sending to every single Joe Schmo out there? That's not going to work. What really needs to work is actually knowing who your audience is. So learn what your why is, but then revert it back into really diving deep into your who is and, and and really learn like almost like as a species, like if you're a scientist and you discovered this new animal, like they like go from head to toe, how they act, how they act in the wild, all the deep analytics. You kind of got to do the same thing for the type of people you're trying to have this product or service sold to. Like you got to like analyze them like a, a species that you just discovered. And then from there, you're going to be able to know how to communicate, how to deliver a message, what they like, what they don't like. And that's going to dramatically change everything from your look, your feel, your messaging, your, your, your funnels, your, your everything. And I think when people start to evaluate, like how much do I really know my customer? And then they start kind of, you know, ego, you know, I like to call it like ego death yeah. when you finally let go of your, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> your, your ego around things. Yeah. Like when you go through the ego death, you're like, man, I really maybe don't know everything. Um, then you're able to actually build some incredible stuff. But a, a, a really cool way also to understand a little bit of your buyer's persona, how they talk, the messaging. 
I, a little little trick I like to do is I like to go on Amazon and I like to look up, let's say, a book, right? So a book maybe around, let's say, marketing to restaurants, right? So you know the people who are buying the books about you know marketing and restaurants are probably restaurant owners or restaurant marketers, right? So a regular marketing book is a lot different than a marketing book for restaurants. So what's great about it is I like to read the comments, I like to read the comments of the people who bought the book because those people are my persona that maybe I'm trying to target. But the best thing I like about it is that I get to hear what keeps them up at night. I get to hear the pain points. I get to also read what they liked about the book, what the book was missing. So I could add maybe that extra element to it. But the best part I like the most is I like to take the words straight out of their mouth. Like, so if someone threw a, I like to call a, a sticky line, right? Something that really sticks to you. Like, ah, oh, that's really cool. It sticks. You know, I, if someone wrote something that was like, huh, that was, that really stood out. I like to take that copy and apply that copy to my advertising because that copy came literally from the horse's mouth. So it will communicate really well with, with, you know the exact persona that I'm trying to yeah. go after. You make you make a good point because um I I I will admit an error that I made is when I started this um podcast show. For me, it was about you know entrepreneurs, people who were starting businesses, and I work with two, I guess two sections of, of business owners. I work with the entrepreneurs, and then I work with what I call holisticpreneurs. So they're the the owners of therapy therapy practices and new coaches and those sort of things. And what I've realized is, is very quickly over the, well, not so, not as quick as I'd like, I have to admit, but I've realized that they speak very, very different. You know, they use a completely oh, yeah. different language. And I was very naive in, in able to work with the same issues, but just when you actually speak to them, they talk about things and they look at topics in a very, very different way. And that's, and that's when all of a sudden as I thought, right, okay, then there needs to be another show aimed spe for specifically holisticpreneurs because that is the and and you know and i'm sitting there going i've been doing this for 10 years now and i cannot believe i screwed that you know screwed that one up but i guess that's just the learning curve isn't it mm -hmm. it's the learning curve and part of the ego death yeah <laughs> yeah my ego is dead nick my ego is dead <laughs> but um Brilliant. but look listen i I've, I've gone through several of those right and i think at the end of the day it's about you know embracing those failures almost encouraging those areas of failures but i think it, the problem is and it goes with the, the ego death theme um it is you know the fact of being aware of it and not just being prideful of like hey this is not working but i'm still going to try putting a square peg around a round hole you know, uh, it's about like actually acknowledging it, taking it in and, you know, making that necessary pivot. Yeah. yeah. And and for me, is is all of it to the learning curve, no matter, you know, we always want to learn things quicker than we actually do. But it's it's that ability to, to listen to it and and react, as you say, pivot to it rather than. And again, as you say, just carry on stubbornly head down like a bull in a china shop let's just go for it because this is the way it's going to work. And the truth of the mm -hmm. matter is that might not be the way. Exactly.
Brilliant. Okay, so what we're going to do now is I'm going to put you on the hot seat um, where I'm going to ask you a set of questions where I ask every single guest who appears on the show, um, mainly because I'm nosy, um, but ultimately because I like to try and find a common a common thread through all of it. So are you ready? Let's do it. Okay, so question number one <laughs> is how much time a week do you spend on self-development? Ooh, when you say self-development, right? Yep. So that would be skills, looking after your body could be um, gotcha. personal development, right. those sort of things. Okay. So I would say probably less than uh, probably four months ago, my personal development, I'll be admit, I'll admit ego death right here. I wasn't doing crap for that. Right. Um, and it, it actually affected me big time. I, I, I Felt and emotionally, mentally, everything. And then I started getting back into, you know, part of the physical development, which is working out again. And But I wanted to work out as soon as the gym opened, which was 5 a.m. So pushing myself to actually wake up in the morning at 4 o'clock in the morning, get to the gym by 5 was like really important to me. It was like my first big task I knew I had to do because I knew if I woke up early and worked out, I would feel better, and not only that, I'll have a big jump start to my day because where where most people were already waking up, I just ran like you know a few miles, did an hour worth of weight training, but I also added in this might sound a little wacky, but I added in like a mandatory minimum thirty minutes to an hour of meditating and And what was cool about that, that is kind of like where I talked about like you got to like massage and work out that growth hacking eye. That's really kind of what helped like declutter my mind so I could start opening my my mind to those areas of, uh, you know, opportunity. So I used to actually even, you know, there was a cool yoga studio. Right, right in my gym, and it was dark. And since I woke up at the crack of dawn, no one was really at the gym. So <laughs> I used to go. I, I still do it now, and it, it's, it's it actually works. I go on YouTube, and I find like guided hypnosis and stuff like that. And you would think like, oh, that won't work. But sit on the guided hypnosis for ten minutes, and when they snap their fingers, like you'll be sleeping. <laughs> And and it, it just takes you to a whole nother you know mindset. And when you when you get done with that after working out, you're you could feel like you could take over the world. So I started doing that, and I also make sure I uh, I either listen or read um, you know around two to three you know article you know deep articles like almost like ebooks or yeah. you know okay. books yeah. you know, a week. Right. Okay. It's interesting because um, when I when I recovered from my illness and I st- was looking at starting my business, is I studied hypnotherapy, um, mainly because number one, I wanted to understand the power of language, and number mm-hmm. two was I wanted to be able to help people relax through that speaking ability, um, and it is amazing, regardless of people thinking you know I can turn you into a chicken or some other rubbish <laughs> like that. Ultimately, it is just that how amazing it is that you can just go into that deep state of relaxation from from the way people talk. It can be a really beneficial thing. How did you find doing it over an hour? I mean, how long did it take you to get to the point of out, like a sort of a long meditation? 
<clears throat> well, doing a pretty strenuous workout does help. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I see your point. But, yeah. <laughs> but but honestly, and and also waking up really early in the morning helps too. But um, but the the biggest thing for me. It was like, for most people, they may find it hard, but for me, I needed it. Like, I, I don't know. For, I guess most of the people that listen to the show, they're busy entrepreneurs, right? We, we are like a never, you know, it's like a computer and you have 30 tabs up, Spotify running, uh, maybe a video playing in the background and your RAM is like overloaded. It's fried. Right. But we that's our brain. And even when we sleep, we're still actively maybe thinking about all our subconscious, you know, fears or thoughts or questions. So we're really never really off until we're consciously and subconsciously off. And when I started it and I I started doing like guided hypnosis through YouTube and other kind of meditation, you know, music and stuff like that. I don't know. It's like my body finally released itself in a way. And it, it just felt like when you drink water and you're thirsty, it was like doing that was like rehydrating my mind. And it, it, it's almost like I didn't want it to stop. Yeah. yeah. You know, so, yeah, yeah. but I did. It's a good always place. Set up. So yeah, you wake great. yourself. When you wake yourself up snoring. It's like, well, hang on. What happened there? There's actually some interest, some great, um, some stuff that I really found useful when I started getting to it was something called Holosync and LifeFlow. Um, they're they're really good. Um, they're not they're not cheap, but they're um, they're a great way to help you get into that meditative state uh, quicker. I think is the way they advertise it. Um, so there's some really good pro- some platforms as well to help. But it's amazing what's out there to help that now. I mean, when when I was sort of looking at it, there wasn't much out there to talk about it you know you had to look at it in books and hope that you were doing it right and you know yeah wear wear the saffron robe and shave your head you know those sort of mm-hmm. things although you have got a shaved head by your photograph so you're you're almost there you just need the saffron <laughs> robe and then you I just need the saffron yeah, robe exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. so question number two is is what is your favorite personal development book and why personal development book there's a lot hmm I don't want to sound cliche and like say like <laughs> I'll have to say I'll be cliche. Um, you know, um, think and grow rich. I read I read that when I was seventeen, and I was piss poor, and I during that time I I I, I had a very severed relationship with my family. I still do. But the thing was like at a time where I was like, again, conformity pushing down on my head. I am not in college. I, this, all this stuff is going on, blah, 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 blah. You know, um, how am I supposed to make it without a degree? That book kind of opened my eyes that it's like, it's all BS what we're told and our subconscious state of mind really kind of dictates everything and opens your mind to maybe certain things. And, and back then when I was young, you know, didn't really know many people that were of influence. Uh, That book kind of opened my head to like, 
there's a reason why I met this specific person, right? Random encounter. There may be even a reason why I met you, Jeff. Oh, there is. Right? There is. Yeah. You know, course. so, but, <laughs> yeah. but th that book helped teach yeah. me like you don't need to know the answer as long as you continually condition your mind to say like this is what you want and all the pieces kind of fall into place and whether you may not know that person you met at like dunkin donuts or wherever coffee shop you're at that was just random and i think it's like up to you to explore maybe the reason why specific things happen and whether it could be even a bad thing, why a specific bad thing happened and you realize like that bad thing happened, but it, all these other good things came because of that bad thing. Or, you know, this one specific person that I didn't think had any value. And I feel like a lot of people who run a business, especially on a sales side, they're always about like the sale. They're making money, making money, making money. And you forget about like catching things because you just want the end game of money, 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 right? And then we often forget when someone doesn't pose to be an opportunity of money that we discount them, right? We're like, well, well you're not going to help my business. You're not going to – you're a waste of time or whatever it might be. And you just say brush them off. And when in all actuality, that person that you brushed off that may not have seen to be a opportunity is actually like the golden egg, whether – they actually may run the business, a, a business that may need you and could be your best client, or you just don't happen to know that their dad or cousin or friend is like, you know, Elon Musk. <laughs> and you just don't know because you just mentally discounted it. So I, that book really kind of helped, I think, really changed my life of really kind of opening up a whole subconscious of thinking of success and money beyond a material Thing. It's all it's all just an illusion of something that you could shape in your destiny. But it's interesting as well because at, at seventeen, I remember you know when I was seventeen, I think um, you know I was working seventeen. I was working as a courier, um, delivering not drugs. I was delivering um, I was delivering sort of parcels and stuff. And one of my jobs was to do. It must have been every other week, a four-hour trip there to drop off one parcel and then a four-hour trip back on the train. And that was my job uh, for about sometimes two, three times a week. And, um, and my boss at the time gave me Tony Robbins to listen to. I think it was Personal Power 1, I think, at the time. And it kind of, kind of like listened to it and loved listening to it, but I didn't do anything with it. You know, and and then when I was ill and then I came out the other side, all of a sudden the cogs started to lock into place. But for you to be 17 years old and for you to have that, uh, as a, uh, maybe it wasn't completely developed, but that awareness for it to start kicking in and to start making you look at that because you're so right about those people that, you know, I have a rule now is, is everyone I meet, I meet for a purpose. Even if it is the purpose, I never want to meet that person again that is still a beneficial of a purpose because mm -hmm. I want to allow everyone in because you're right. You, you don't know. Some of my dearest friends who I've met, I literally have only met for a, a combined of a three week period, but we get on like we're, you know, like brothers to some extent or some of them. And it's, it's amazing how, how you can connect with just certain people. If you give yourself permission to be open and, and that sort of uh, attitude towards people. Mm -hmm. It's just it's exactly. amazing that you had that at seven. To, it, you know, to start that 
<clears throat> that ball rolling at 17 years old, it, you had a serious amount of awareness going through, no matter what you it, were going it, through in your in your personal life. And, and you know, it was one of those things where I was still a little close-minded to it back then. Yeah. yeah. I, was, I was reading it. I was like, mm, this sounds like <laughs> hocus pocus. It's, it's written in funny language as well. Who speaks it, it like really this? It really was. <laughs> I was like, oh, you know, anyone who read the reads the book, it like takes you through like a, a bunch of cool narrative stories, right? And you're like, oh, this is really cool. And then it goes to the, the deep end and you're like, it, it, you almost kind of got to push yourself to like really absorb it. But like what opened my eyes was the, I, I, I forgot, I forgot exactly what happened, but something happened where it was like one of those aha moments. It was almost kind of like twilight zoney where I was like, holy, holy macro like this. I never would have even noticed this if I just maybe didn't ask that one specific question. I would never normally ask. And it like opened a huge door. It's like it almost made it made me realize and think that, you know, and, and for anyone who's listening, if you haven't found out yet, I'm a very like like outwardly person. Um, I'm not a hippie, but I am probably right above the tier of like the mindset of one. But the thing is like, I really strongly believe that like the whole destiny and fate. And if there's like parallel things, universes, dimension, I totally believe that this existence that we are in now is not what we think it is. Right. There is something else. It has to be something else. Like if you look at like just the last hundred years, even beyond that, the last 25 years since or 27 years of my existence. Right. When I was born till now, where technology has quantum leaped forward and I go on my Facebook feed, I'm seeing newer and newer AI machine learning, like crazy stuff that you would see on like the 2001, the space odyssey. If anyone who sat through that, like that was done in what? 1964 or something like that. 1967, some really dated time, but you saw things like there was a scene there where the guy is sitting in the seat and he's seeing his kid through a TV screen. Yeah. That's FaceTime now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it is. Yeah, I know. I know. You know and, and, and all this crazy stuff. And it all happened within a span of less than a decade. Like, if you, if you, if you just internalize that a bit, like 10 years ago, we had flip phones. Yeah. I had a brick Bare- phone. I had a, I had, yeah. mine was ridiculous. Mine, mine you could build a house with. Yeah, and playing Snake on it or freaking Atari, like, Minesweeper or whatever it was, like, that was, like, cutting edge. Now you could, like, literally stream 3D images on a phone. Like, how crazy is that? Like, and it makes you think about, like, okay, you know, what? how, how does this all manifest? And is it all kind of, pre, you know, set into some sort of, you know, plan? And I really firmly believe that clues are out there opportunity sits the, the the door that you have to knock is all around us i think it's a matter of do we really consciously want to do it because anyone who wants to do something that they set their mind to passionately about 
they could do it. It's a matter if they want to do it. And if there's a matter of like they open up their mind and it's like, do you, do you want to open up your mind to seeing the clues or do you want to just keep yeah, hiding blind to it? Yeah. 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 No. So it, I, that's, that's, I went on a rant. No, but. that was, cl- no, I enjoyed that. And in fact, that's, that's an episode in itself, really. But <laughs> question, question number three is what is your favorite app? Uh, favorite app. Um, I don't know if you heard of this one, but it's called Focus Booster. Oh, no, I haven't heard that one, but I will be by it, the end of the show. So Focus Booster is, uh, are you familiar with the, I may be butchering this word, but the Pomodoro Yeah, method? Pomodoro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> the Pomodoro method, it's a, it pretty much is an app that you know executes that method and for those who don't know what the pomodoro method is it is essentially a a method of doing a task but you get like you have to tune in straight without distractions for like sometimes it's 15 but the general rule of thumb is like 25 minutes i like to do 15 minutes but it's like you you just stick to only that one specific thing until it's done but you have a timer that like, you know, if, if that timer hits, that's the only like, you know, two to three minute, five minute break period. And then you're back into it. But, um, for someone who's, oh yeah. And I, 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 I know I suffer from like ADHD and I'm very easily distracted, especially as you know, someone who's managing multiple things. It's, it's easy to lose, you know, chase after, chase after a lot of shiny objects and like a ball in a park, you know, a dog with a ball in a park, you're just running all over the place. So, but for, for most people, you know, even if you're not suffering from like a focus problem or even ADD or ADHD, this app is like the go-to like I have my to-dos and I literally have like how much time I'm only going to allow myself to do it and I'm banging out. It's That's great. cool. Excellent. Oh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll put that in the show notes and I'll, I'll, I wrote a, a blog about the Pomodoro, so I'll, I'll link that in as well. And then it, it keeps everything in line. So question number four is what's your biggest business mistake and what did it teach you? All right. Business mistake. Okay. Business mistake was hiring the wrong person. <laughs> hiring the wrong person. That was a big one. Uh, and I feel like a lot of people who have a business, you all, most of you guys start as the idea person, right? You're the solopreneur and then you grow and maybe you're able to hire your first partner or, you know, first employee. And I did that. But the problem was, it's lonely on top and you can sometimes find yourself sucked into friendships more than working relationships. And it leaves you vulnerable to not seeing signs of someone taking advantage of you. And I unfortunately got sucked into that with one of my first people and, um, it bit me hard in the butt. And, um, I would say that was my biggest, biggest mistake. And what it taught me now is, you can't be naive to the fact that people don't want you to succeed or have the best interest in mind. It's it's a it's a the business world is a dirty world, <laughs> and and you get you gotta think that it's not it's not sunshines and rainbows. There's a lot of there's a lot of people that are uh, looking to steal what yeah. you. Yeah, it's a, it's a shame as well, but sometimes there's... I always think karma's going to bite them in the backside. 
There's a there's a hope that those sort of people karma will get them, but you know, Eventually. You, you never know. You never know. You never know. Question number five is: What are your challenges in balancing work and life, and how do you manage them? All right, challenges. Being present is the hardest thing for me. I honestly shook up even on my 11-year relationship with my wife. You know, because the thing is when you when you have something like your business, it's like it literally is like a baby, right? It cries when you don't want it to cry. It shits all over the place. <laughs> yeah, it requires more food mostly when you don't have any. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It, it's just like that. And it, t- it, t- it takes a lot of attention, right? And I think for me – that was a big challenge for me in balancing my work and life because I'll be working from the moment I wake up to sometimes all throughout the night without sleeping. And then I wake up the next, you know, my wife will wake up the next day and I would literally be a zombie. And, and it's just like that, that trend could keep going and going. And even I'll be sitting at dinner and it's like, you could be listening, but you're not listening. If that makes sense. Or you could be, it's like, it's like you left your body and you're still doing what you would do, you were doing in the other room, but like your, 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 <laughs> your body's still there, you know, in the, in that moment, but you're not in the moment. And I think that was the hardest thing for me is balancing that aspect of being present when I need to be present and taking my mind off that area. And I think it was generally because you know, when you when you're trying to get something going, and and you would think that when things are going really good, like you're making a lot of money and starting to feel successful, you would think that it would get better. But honestly, it gets worse. Yeah, yeah, more like the whole more, more demand kind of thing. Yeah, the whole more money, more problems thing. It sounds taboo to people who don't have money, but it is true because you start to develop like a phobia around fact like for people who don't like i never had money i didn't grow up with money so when i i know the feeling of when i don't have money i know that i knew that struggle so when you have money all i think about is like this could go away so it's like you worry about the fact of like not having it anymore so like that makes you work harder and works more and it could be used for your advantage, but also it can make you not present because then all you do is worry and think and you're never there. So I, what I started doing is that the working out in the morning and meditating. And even if I could squeeze it, because oftentimes I'm working till like the, <laughs> the 11th hour of before a, a dinner date <laughs> or something that I have to get to. But if I could squeeze it, I really really love to take like 10 minutes even or 15 minutes just jump into a hardcore like just like decompress let me you know shed all the the uh, um i'm probably gonna butcher this word too um they you know um trench uh, uh shoot it's this type of meditation it's very short it's like 15 minutes long um transgenital ten, ten, uh, it starts with a t i can't remember okay. it Short meditation, I think we'll stick with. It's a short. <laughs> we'll stick with short meditation. Okay. But essentially, what it's designed to do is yeah. it, it, and it does really well. It, it actually kind of like slows down like your your um, your mental thinking, your your brain waves of everything that's going on, declutters your mind, and, and that helps me a lot for when I'm like winding down the day. And it's it's essentially like when you run on a treadmill. There's a reason why there's a cool down period when you hit your 
you know, you're, you're done with your running exercise uh, that you set up. So it's like, you kind of got to give yourself that cool down period where you're like, you're running at a million miles per hour for who knows how many hours straight. And now you got to go back into the real world and with people <laughs> instead of a computer screen, you got to like put your, you got to put the cool down, you know, parameters in. So that way, when you go into that, you know, actual human interaction with people, uh, that you love, right. Um, you got to like turn it off. And I feel like that's the only way to turn it off because if you jump into something that is not work, you're still thinking of work. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. That's complete. Are you meaning transcendental meditation? Yes. Right. See, it's a tough word, right? Okay. It is. Yeah. Even more so when you got dyslexic, because I was reading transgender, <laughs> trans all sorts. And that really yeah. built it up while you were talking there. So yes. Okay. So there you go. Okay. Question number six is what advice would you give an entrepreneur that you wish you had known starting out? What advice? I would say the best advice is if you have any sort of itch of feeling that what you're doing right now in your current state of mind and it doesn't feel right, there's a reason for that. You're doing the wrong thing. And I felt that way for a very long time when I was working for other people. And I, cause that's what I thought I needed to do. But when I used to wake up every single morning, get ready for that job, J O B just over broke. Um, I hated myself. I didn't like it. I felt crappy. Best word to describe it. And I think the easiest way to kind of, you know, give yourself a little quick ego death right? Is when you wake up in the morning, are you feeling happy and excited for the Monday through Friday? Or you just keep waiting for that weekend, right? And if that's the case, then you're not liking what you're doing, you know, eight hours of your day. Yeah, you're existing, you're not living, are you? Exactly. And when you start to realize like that, then you got to start realizing like I'm doing the wrong thing. And there might be the industry, you may, maybe it's not getting starting your own business. I'm not saying like the only way to feel fulfillment is having a business. No, you may just be like, you know what? Maybe I rather work a nonprofit. Maybe I would feel consciously better about what I'm doing in this world. Or maybe instead of being an accountant, you really wanted to be that marketer, <laughs> you know, but your family told you, you, you lived in you know, a household full of accountants and that's what they told you to do. But that wasn't your passion. So I don't know what it is or what it may be for you, but the one thing that's a true tell sign it's almost like if you have a cold and you have the sniffles and a runny nose, like that's a sign that you have, you know, a cold. If you wake up in the morning and the first thing you think about is how much you hate what you're doing, then that's usually a good indicator of you should find something else yeah. to really yeah. figure out what you should that's do. Great. Yeah, I'm, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because like now with me owning my own business, even when things are tough, I still look forward to getting up in the morning because I know that I can – it's me that can has to sort it out. I'm not reliant on anyone else. I'm not. I'm not sort of. There isn't that. Oh God, I just don't. I just want to go back to bed. Wake wake me up in another twenty four hours, and hopefully the issue will go. I love. I love the fact I can wake up with a spring in my step and not a sort of. I'm not dragging like some B movie Frankenstein, because I really mm-hmm. don't want to get to work. It's, oh yeah, it's am- I, it's amazing. I, 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 I feel that way all the time, and especially when the weekends come. Most people who hate their job look at the weekends as a time that they get to live, right? For me, 
the weekends are I like look at like someone who actually loves what they do. It's kind of very similar to an athlete, right? An athlete would play a game every single day if their body could handle it because they love playing the game. But you need those rest periods like when you work out. And I, I like to look at it like, you know what? I love what I do so much. I'm going to grind and grind Monday through Friday where I physically need that two-day period. But that two-day period is like me getting ready for that big game on Monday. Yeah. You know, I'm like, yeah. I'm just like amped for it. While most people are like, crap, I'm going back, back into work. Yeah. Monday. My headache for starts me. on Sunday night. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You know, on the weekends, I'm like the athlete who's sitting in that ice tub, you know, just, you know, getting his muscles back into check. But he's like watching game day footage to make himself better for Monday, you know, where that game's coming in. So that's the way I I like to look at it. Brilliant. Brilliant. So question number seven is, what is your definition of success? Definition of success. My definition of success is success is not something that is a figure on a bank statement. It's not a figure of what you have. It's not even a figure of who you even meet or know, right? It's, it's all that, that whole facade of success is just an illusion. True success could be in the form of no money, could be in the form of no things, could be in the form of no people you know that are successful either. I personally find true success as the feeling of being whole, like truly whole, where you just know that nothing else can make you feel better. And yeah, sometimes money helps with that, but at the end of the day, like I said, like money sometimes causes more problems and the people that you surround yourself with, maybe also the people that are trying to tear you down. And I personally believe that we have to st- we went into a period I feel like in our lives, especially with all these millionaires overnight where people are starting to attribute success based on your Lamborghinis, okay. a lot of money sit yeah. laying on a bed yeah. and maybe some yeah. really good looking people surrounding yeah. you in your life. Oh, you've seen but- those adverts on Facebook as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the thing. We're getting sold oh, this I- I lie and I, I won't lie. The most, the time I felt the most successful is when I was sitting, you know, I was in a car, a crappy SUV with my wife in Iceland and we were driving and we weren't going to a fancy hotel cause there's no fancy hotels there. And I, it was just with her and we weren't, you know, jumping out of helicopters or driving a Lamborghini. And I wasn't, you know, displaying what I was doing on social media. I was disconnected. I wasn't around people except the one person who I only want to be around with, who is happy with me. And that alone, it feels like success. And I was just in an area that, I don't know, it just felt like all that noise is just silly and you got all this beauty around you and I'm around a person that I really like and I have the ability to do this because of all the hard work I put into it. And that to me felt successful like because all the hard work, I, I was able to experience that in my life. And 
it wasn't about how much money I had or things I, you know, had. It was about having living an experience that I knew if I didn't work hard enough to achieve, I would never have gotten to experience. And I think that for me, like defined like a successful moment in my life. Yeah. No, that's cool. That's cool. I love that one. Okay. So question number eight is the life lesson question. So it's based on 50 lessons that I've sort of looked at in my life from recovering illness and starting my business and you get to pick a number between one to 50 whatever it lands on we um will discuss it is okay for you to disagree with it because there is a possibility that you've learned it in a different way so pick a number between one and 50 nick one and 50 uh 24 24 is the art of reflection so for me, this was about sometimes is, is you know, we kind of like br- talked about it before. It's that sort of head down and just keep on doing the work because that was what I thought I had to do. And this was before I started my own business. It was just I kept looking at or trying to get one of the reasons I was ill was because of a stress related condition. My body just basically just went, you know, what, I'm not going anymore. And that's it. And quite often what I love to do, and I do this through my meditation or my journalism, is I just stop and just think about it and reflect about, you know, how I did or what my progress is or how I'm feeling in that moment. And I'm just wondering, do you use reflection and how do you find it? Yes, I completely agree. I think self-reflecting is super important. Um, I feel like that's the only way you could really truly grade yourself. Right. And and actually feel, I guess the best word to describe it, clear judgment. Like if you ask someone, if you ask your close friend, right, hey, am I being a good person in life? They're always going to say, like, yeah, you're a good person because we live in a world that everyone's a bunch of rah-rahs. Right. Like no one likes to hurt people's feelings. I mean, Christ, you go to a doctor's office, you could be morbidly obese and they will never say that you're fat. Even though that's what you should hear because you're going to die because you're so obese, right? But they'll just put you on prescription pills for all the problems they have. But I feel like the only time where we can actually, again, ego death ourselves is self-reflecting. And because the only person who you could really truly say, like, if you're doing something wrong without judgment is yourself. Because you could – it's like a safe – it's almost like a safe place, Right. And it, it, it also could put you in the crossroads if you want to continue living a lie or if you want to make a change to yourself. So I, I completely agree with like this, the idea of self-reflecting. And I do for me, I find myself again when I meditate going almost like as like someone sifting through a file file cabinet of <laughs> topics like i find myself while i'm sitting meditating like all the things that i'm reflecting about and going through them and saying am i happy with it am i am I, or should i make a change or am i doing the right thing and i it's sad is that most people are so distracted with things around them that i don't think many people even self-reflect at all so if, if anything i I challenge people who are listening to this episode, if they lasted this long with hearing my voice, uh, <laughs> to maybe take the 10 minutes and just be like, you know what? I'm going to ask myself the tough questions. Yeah. And it's and a learned I'm skill as well, it. isn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
It's a hundred percent a learned yeah. skill because, quite frankly, I think it scares people. Yeah, I think we're going to break it into three parts. We're going to do the Cullen trilogy. This podcast episode, <laughs> we're gonna, that's what we're going to do. We're going to do. We're going to have to come up with some really f- great names. Flight one, second flight, the Cullen trilogy. You know, we'll get we'll get there. We'll sort that one out. But yep. <laughs> but Nick, can you just give us give uh, uh, the floor is yours for you to share how people can find out more about you? Yeah, sure. So, um, best thing uh, if you want to, you know, check out my company, um, Second Flight Consultancy, which is a growth hacking digital marketing agency. Um, you can find us at Second Flight Consultancy, C O N S U L T A N C Y. I'm sorry, the guy who has SecondFlight.com is a complete jerk. Wants to sell it for like thirty grand, not for me. But Second Flight Consultancy, which could challenge your spelling skills.com, um, that would be the place that you could learn about my company. Now, if you would like to speak to me directly, you could do that on my site, but I'll also give you a, a link that I'm sure Jeff will be more than happy to hook up in his show notes, which is my online booking calendar, which you could find uh, meet, M-E-E-T-M-E dot S-O slash Nick Cullen, N-I-C-K-K-U-L-L-I-N. Uh, I know it's a lot different than what most people hear Cullen. So it's Cullen with a K. No, that's so. brilliant. That's brilliant. Nick, it has been an absolute pleasure having on the show. I've I've really enjoyed it. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. Um, oh, I really did. But I just want to say thanks very much, and I wish you the greatest success. Thank you, Jeff. And uh, please don't he- ever hesitate to reach out to me if you ever uh, want to chat. So first of all, just let me say a massive thank you for joining me today. It's lovely to know that you're out there listening. And it's great to have the emails that I get from you with suggestions about the show and what you think about the show. That's really nice. Really does help me make the show even better. If you'd like to find out more about me and the types of services I offer or my social media links, then please visit www.jeffnicholson.uk. You can also join us on the Facebook page. Just search for Success IQ Podcast. And that's a new page that we've put up that I'm trying to grow and develop. So you can tune in and find us on other stations such as Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn Radio, and of course, iTunes. And if you have the time, it would be great if you could pop over there, leave a rating, leave a review, because it really does help me grow the show and make the impact that I'm really looking for. So just to say, I hope you have a fantastic week. I wish you the greatest success and I look forward to speaking to you next week. Take care.